So right now, I want to take an opportunity as we press play for the rest of this service. Uh, I want to introduce our speaker for the day. Uh, well, this guy is an amazing man of God. He loves students, he loves young adults, and he loves people in general. And he actually is the same speaker that spoke at camp two weeks ago for us as our ministry. And it's this amazing opportunity that we get to hear him speak. His name is Pastor Joey Silva. Make him feel warm and welcome as he comes on stage. Amen. Uh, real quick, I don't know about y'all, I feel like I can hear Mikey talk all day. You know, he, he, that's a sultry voice right there. I was just like, I told my wife, I was like, I want him to read me a I would love to just sit there. So, I don't know, Mikey, maybe you might be taking over for me one day, buddy. That was nice. Um, I just want to say thank you so much, parents, uh, for trusting us with your children. I know that's hard uh, to actually let go of your kids for a week. Maybe not so hard for some of you, but most of you, it's hard to, to let go of your kids for that amount of time. And so uh, we're grateful for that. And you're, you're, I, I actually had a, a special bond I felt with the green team and, and hanging out with them. And um, we bonded over World Cup. We would just sit together, me and the guys, and, and watch the World Cup and, and just hang out together. And um, I, I will say this. You have ridiculously attractive children. Like, they just all look like this group of models walking in the room. And I was just like, that's just not fair. Like, we need to work on that. But uh, praise God. I guess like Zurich does it right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I got to speak at camp. It's an honor. It's a privilege. I'm humbled by that. I've been doing youth ministry now for going on 10 years. Um, uh, they just added young adults over the last couple years to my plate. And so I got them between 12 and 30, which is a weird age range. Uh, and, and God has really blessed me and helped me in that. And, and camp was amazing. God did unbelievable things. We give all credit and glory to God for anything good that happened. All credit to me for anything bad that happened. But we are grateful for what God is doing. And uh, I know it was God because I was very tired. Um, I was accidentally booked in a weird way where... Um, Last year, I had already said yes to the camp, and I had already said yes to a mission trip that I was taking a group of our young adults on. And a schedule shift had them end up being back-to-back. -back. So I was in uh, the U.K. for two weeks, landed in Chicago, and drove down to camp the next day to do a week of camp. So I was, like, exhausted. And, and while I was in the U.K., we got to do some great work. I was working in schools. We did a camp of 100 junior high kids, just junior high kids. You think his room smelled? The whole camp smelled when you have just junior high kids. I don't know why they hate showers, but they do. And um, <laughs> I'm telling you, you want to see something rise from the dead, go into that room. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, God did some really cool things. And, and I was thinking about it. I was with my buddy, and he's got two small children, a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And they're in the car, and they got their cute little British accents, and I think everything they do is adorable. But like any sibling, they were winding each other up. They were really making each other upset. And you know how you are, you who grow up a brother, sister, you live your life to annoy them. You know, you just, you want to punch them, you want to yell at them, you want to give them dumb face. I used to love it when my sister would get disciplined. I don't know how you guys feel about discipline. We call it getting beat, but you probably call it discipline. <laughs> I used to love it when my, when my, when my sister would get beat. And she'd be in the other room, and I knew it was like because something I did. And I would just peek over the door and like. <laughs> right? Because we love that. So, so they're doing that to each other. They're going back and forth. And then finally you, the dad stepped in. And you know when pop's got to step in, it's like, yo, now we're, you're done. And so he, he goes, you know what, you two, when we get home, we're going to talk. And we all know what talk means, right? Discipline. And so 
So right away, it got quiet in the car. And then this sweet little three-year-old girl, she leans over to her brother, Seth. And she goes, Seth, I'm sorry. And I was like, so sweet. And then she goes, Daddy, I said I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry to Seth. Don't be mad at me, Daddy. And I'm like, that little punk, she didn't care. She wasn't trying to apologize. She was trying to get out of trouble, right? And, and that's what we do. We, we try to get out of trouble. A lot of times when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the things that God tells us to do, we do them not because we want to do them, but we want to get out of trouble. We don't want God to be mad at us. We don't want God to, to strike us down or we don't want God to hurt us, right, So or discipline us. We want God to just love us and everything to be okay. And so I was thinking about that, and I think about as, as a child, you're always taught to say you're sorry, right? Go tell them you're sorry. Go say you're sorry. You're always taught to say you're sorry. One thing you're not taught is to forgive them when they say they're sorry. That part of the equation is usually not given. And I find that more and more, the, wherever I go in the world, whether it's in the UK or we were in Asia a couple of years ago or in the United States, in the city, in the suburbs, unforgiveness is a topic that can be talked about anywhere. Because it's one of those issues that we don't think is an issue. It's one of those areas in our heart that we just kind of ignore. We just kind of bury deep down and we hope that nobody notices it. And if we think long enough away from it, it'll just go away. And I, I think at the root of a lot of our issues in our culture, in our society, in our world, I think at the root of a lot of it is unforgiveness. It's this back and forth. It's this idea that we have to find justice. It's what divides countries. It's what starts and continues wars. It's the reason why as a culture we seek justice more than mercy sometimes. And, and in my travel in the UK a couple weeks ago, I was in Belfast, Ireland. And I'd never been to Ireland. I'd been to all the other UK countries. It's my first time in Ireland. And so we're doing a tour of Ireland and we're checking all these things out. And the tour guide kept mentioning like a lot of different things. On the, One of the funny things, she goes, this is our Tesco, which is like their Walmart. She's like, why am I pointing out a Tesco? Because it's 24-hour Tesco. And I was like, oh, big deal over here. And she's like, but it's Ireland, so it closes at 8. And I was like... All right, this is awkward. So she's saying all these like weird things that are funny. But then she keeps mentioning like, and this is this area during the times of troubles. And she kept mentioning during the years of the troubles. And so I'm like, what are the troubles? I'm leaning over to my buddy who's English. I'm like, what are the troubles? And he reminded me, it's like it was 30 years of war that had gone on in Ireland between the Republic of Ireland, which is Southern Ireland, and Northern Ireland, which pertains to Great Britain. And it's basically, it was a war over being a part of Great Britain and not, and there's other things, Protestant and Catholic that got into it and a lot of other areas. But the reason it lasted for 30 years, I'm convinced, is unforgiveness. It's just unwillingness to say, well, you hurt us, now we got to hurt you back. And you hurt us for hurting you and we're going to hurt you back. And you get into this vicious cycle of violence that goes back and forth and back and forth simply because there's an unwillingness to forgive. And so uh, one of the things they said is we've had 20 years of peace. And there's this uh, street where there's murals on almost every building that kind of tell you the story. And the one thing they keep begging for is peace, peace, peace. That you see all over the murals, there was this yearning for peace. I think a lot of us, the reason why we struggle to have peace in our hearts, peace in our spirit, peace in who we are, is because unforgiveness is still waging war inside you. And there's a yearning for peace, but there's an unrelentingness in your willingness to forgive someone. And listen, I don't want to diminish what you've been hurt by. Again, it's easy to justify in our eyes, especially when it comes to the, in Ireland, that back and forth, it's easy to say, no, no, they killed my family member. They killed my spouse. 
They, they, they bombed this. I, we, we were at this, by this one hotel. Thank God we didn't stay in that hotel. They're like, this is Hotel Europa. It's the most bombed hotel in all of Belfast. 73 bombs, 43 successful. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> this is insane. And it's easy for me to look at it and go, yeah, I get it. But it's not okay. Just because it's an excuse doesn't mean it's okay. And so this is our problem. It's we're yearning for peace in our heart. But there's this unwillingness to forgive. Now I'll tell you, I don't have an issue right now with unforgiveness because I'm lazy. And I'm just too lazy to hold the grudge. <laughs> I really am. It's just not worth it to me. Like people are like, aren't you mad? I, like, I don't even care anymore. Like it's just let it go, whatever. You cut me off, it's like whatever, I'm still alive. Like I don't really get mad because I'm just too lazy to hold the grudge. But I'll be honest with you, I wasn't that way. There was times, obviously in, in my youth and about 100 pounds ago, where I held unforgiveness in. And I remember particularly, and maybe some of you might relate, I had real strong unforgiveness towards my church. Now I got to uh, go to the church, uh, or I get to work at the church that I grew up in. I got there when I was 15 as a student, got plugged into the youth group, which is why I think it's important to have youth ministries in our churches. Because I think uh, a lot of times you can save the whole family through saving a child. And I believe in that, and I believe in what God is able to do for the whole family through the child. Because I will say this, and parents, you can attest, um, parents are more likely to go to a church that their kids love and they like than one that they love and their kids like. And so I've seen people move in that area. So I love that I got to be a part of it. But just after high school, I was really hurt within the church. Um, my not-so-distant ex-girlfriend at the time was dating one of the worship leaders. And they weren't dating appropriately. And there was all these things that I knew were, that were going on. And I was so angry at the church. I was angry at him. And it was even worse because he led worship. So I would see him singing about God. And in my heart I would go, you're full of it. I know what's going on in your life. If I stood up and told everybody, then everyone would know what's going on. But I was afraid to say anything because I had grown up in churches that were always split by stuff like that. So as much as I was angry at my church, I still loved the church. And I didn't want to be the reason why this church would divide itself because I kept seeing that over and over again. I kept seeing pastors that, that were corrupt. I remember uh, we went to a small Spanish church growing up. There was a pastor who came in and he was going to help all these people with their immigration papers. He collected $10,000 and then split the city. I just, so I saw a lot of corruption in the church and I was mad at it for it. I was mad at God for it because I'm like, God, this is happening on your watch. And so I had this issue growing up in that time for about a year I just walked away from church. I was like, I'm not doing it. And you know what's amazing, by the way, this is a little side tip. But when you walk away from God, not just church, but I always think it's funny that people do the both. You hurt them in church and they leave God as well, which doesn't make sense to me, but that's what we do. Right? And, and I, I'm always amazed when a kid leaves church and they leave God, I'm always the one that gets deleted off of social media. Like, I didn't do anything. I loved you to death. And now I'm just your reminder of Jesus, so you don't want to be my friend anymore. And it hurts. I'm like, forget you then. I don't even like you. <laughs> but that's what happens. And it's amazing how we just, we move away from God and we turn our back on God. And I'll tell you this, when you do that, when you go back to that old life, your sin was right there waiting for you. Everything that you left behind is like, welcome home. And, there were, and that's what happened to me. So for a year, I went through all that before God began to restore me and began to challenge me. And I started going to all these different churches. And I remember praying and saying, God, where do you want me to go? Now that I feel like, you know, I'm better, not forgiven yet, but I'm better. I'm in God's places. You know, I'm like, God, where do you want to use me? And mind you, there was a bunch of youth ministries that were like recruiting me. I felt kind of good. I'm like, all these places want me to serve there. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he goes, I want you to go back to Belmont. 
I'm like, nope, you don't understand, God. Those people that hurt me are still there. He goes, I need you to love me more than you're afraid of them. And I'm like, mm, nope. <laughs> Not going to happen, God. But the Lord kept pressing on my heart. And I remember I went back. And one of the verses that the Lord led me to to help me in that process is in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Let me read to you what that says. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that for the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they need something to drink, uh, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Three things that the Lord spoke to me in that passage that I want to share with you. Because I think all of us know we have to forgive. Sometimes it's an issue of how to do it. I know what I'm supposed to do, but how do I do that? I know that I'm supposed to forgive this person. I get that, but I just don't know how to do it. And so here are three things that I saw in that scripture that I feel the Lord is telling us this morning and how to do that. Number one is this. You have to give up the right to hurt them back. You have to give up the right to hurt them back. When we have been hurt by someone, whether it's, you know, they stepped on your new J's or, you know, they physically abused you. When you've been hurt by someone, there is this self-righteousness within you that feels you deserve to hurt them back, right? We go back to the Old Testament. The only time you ever read the Old Testament was eye for an eye. You ain't read anything else in that book, but you can quote that real fast. Well, he hurt me, I get to hurt him back. It's in the Bible. <laughs> oh, great, now you're a scholar. Okay? But that's what we do, right? You hurt me, now it's my right to hurt you back. You, you offended me, it's my right to make sure that you feel the weight of that offense. And one of the things God is telling you is in order to find freedom and forgiveness, you first have to be willing to give up your right to hurt them back. Because it's not a right that God has given you, it's a right that you try to claim for yourself. God is not giving you the right to hurt someone back. God is not giving you. We read that Romans verse and all we hear is heaps of burning coal and God's righteous anger will avenge. And we love that part. But God's saying, yeah, yeah, that's me, not you. You don't get to do that. You don't get to be my me messenger. You're not my avenger, okay. You're not Captain America. This is my job. But we want to have that. Listen, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 through 25 says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. Hallelujah, love that. And if you believe that, You've received it, it will be yours. Amen, right? I want a new car and I want a new house and I want to live like they do in Lake Zurich. I want that. <laughs> Y'all got some nice houses though. I drove by, I was like, mm. So we love that part of scripture, right? We're good at, at nitpicking parts. But listen, because God gives a condition to this promise. Okay, we think God's promises are unconditional. No, 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 no. A lot of them have conditions attached to them. In this case, there's a but. But, which means... You do this if this happens, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. You know what the amazing thing about anyone, it means uh, in the Greek, when you break it down, it means anyone. <laughs> anyone means anyone. There is no exclusion on that. So anyone can be your dad who left. Anyone can be that babysitter that abused you. Anyone can be that person who broke your heart and ran out on you and left your kids. Anyone is anyone. 
It says, if you are praying and you're asking me for these things and you're looking for these miracles, I am willing to listen. But first, go and forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Your blessings are being held up by your unforgiveness. Your answered prayers are being on back lot because of your unforgiveness. Because you are holding, you, you are the dam that holds back the river of blessings that God is trying to pour out into your life because of this unwillingness to let go. There's a tribe uh, in Africa that were experts at capturing monkeys. And what they would do is they would uh, build these cages and they would put like a banana or some object in the cage that would be attractive to the monkey. Now the monkeys were too smart to go into the cages. They wouldn't go into the cage. What they would do is they would just go around the cage and put their hand through the bars in order to pull it right out. But what these experts did is they made the bars wide enough for the monkey's hand to go through, but narrow enough so that when they made a fist from holding the object, they couldn't pull their hand out. So here they are, and they grab the object, and they can't pull their hand out. And then they see the hunter walking towards them, and they're screaming, and they're screeching, and they're terrified, and they, they just want to run, but there's this unwillingness as if their hand is detached from their body. There's this unwillingness to simply let go of the banana, and because they're unwilling to let go, the hunter doesn't have to run, doesn't have to fight. He simply walks up, bops him on the head, and kills the monkey. And in the same way, the Bible tells us that the enemy is prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And the truth is, we don't make it that difficult for him because we are stuck in a cage of unforgiveness. We are trapped holding on to our right to hurt them, holding on to, to the pain and, and hoping that somehow this is hurting them when it's not. And the enemy just simply comes up and, and then we get mad at everybody else for it. We get mad at the cage builders. We get mad at the people around us. We get mad at the other monkeys for not saying anything when all you needed to do was let go. The first step towards forgiveness is being willing to let go. The second part is moving forward because moving forward depends on you. Moving forward depends on you. Too often we're willing to forgive if they come and ask for forgiveness. And so we're like, listen, I'm ready to do it when they come up to me. When they say sorry to me, when they show me that they feel, you know, sorry about it, when they've proven that they've hurt long enough, then I will forgive them. But forgiveness is 100% dependent on you. So stop waiting for apologies. They may never come. Some of you are waiting for apologies from ghosts. They're, they're, they've been dead for a long time. And you're still waiting for that apology. Some of you are waiting for apologies from people you'll never see again. And you're still waiting for that apology. Listen, Romans 12, 18, going back to that chapter, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You have to decide to move forward. You have to decide. Sometimes I'll be in counseling with some people, and it'll be the same thing over and over and over again. And what I'll do is I'll pull my phone out, right, because there's this unforgiveness issue we've been working on for weeks. I'll pull my phone out, and I'll open it to the calendar, and I'll say, hey, do me a favor. Would you pick a date? And they're like, for what? You need to tell me when you're going to get over it. Tell me when it's going to be. Because at some point you just have to decide this is going to be the day. That's it. No more. Not after today. I'm not going to keep dwelling on this. I'm not going to keep sitting on this. This is the day that I make the decision that I will no longer let this hold me because I'm going to be willing to let it go. I'm going to move forward. The windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror. And if you drive staring out the rearview mirror, eventually you will crash. 
But when you learn to look forward, it makes life a lot easier. What you have to be careful with is not staring behind you. Look at John chapter 21. This is right after Peter is reinstated by Jesus Christ. Peter sinned. Peter messed up. Peter failed. Jesus reinstates him, brings him back in. Listen to what it says. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Be careful when you forgive someone to look behind you to see if God has hurt them. To see if God has justified you. To see if God has got them. Because that's what we do. Fine, I'm going to let it go, but get them now. And you turn around to see if they're struggling. You turn around to make sure that justice has been sanctified and, and, and been uh, accomplished. And look at what Jesus replies to him. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. I love when Jesus gets sassy. I love when he, he it's almost, he almost sounds like, like a mom. Like, if I want him, so what? Has nothing to do with you. But you don't know what they did. I know exactly what they did, and I will deal with them. You don't worry about it. You worry about you. You worry about yourself. You worry about following me. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what's happening in their lives. Don't worry about what they're going through. You worry about me. You got enough to worry about. You don't need to worry about them. And the problem is we get so caught up in what's happening to them that you don't realize the spiral you're going down. And Jesus is saying, listen, stop looking at them. You focus on me. He didn't mean that John was going to live forever. He meant, Peter, just focus on the thing I've asked you to do. And if we can learn to focus on our own job and stop worrying about what somebody else is doing. And parents, you know that because that's what your kids do. We act like children in that sense. What about him, mom? Well, what about him? Well, you hit me, why don't you hit him? I didn't see him do it. But he did it. I didn't see it. Except in my house, we all got beat. It was just a unison, like everybody's going to get it. But that's what we do. We turn around and we look for our justification. We look for the revenge. But listen, when God looked at him and he says, it's my job, not your job. And the ultimate way to get back at somebody, the ultimate revenge comes this way. If you're taking notes, number three. You need to learn to kill your enemies with kindness. You need to learn to kill your enemies with kindness. In other words, if you really want to destroy an enemy, if you really want to get rid of it all, if you really want to hurt them in the greatest way you can, where they're utterly destroyed, learn to love them. Abraham Lincoln, after the Civil War, this is right after four years of death all over the place. Fam brothers killing brothers, literally just, it, it kind of makes sense. They say the Civil War, more Americans died in the Civil War than any other war combined. It's kind of obvious when only Americans are fighting it, okay? But all these Americans have been killed, killed, killed. So you can imagine how much unforgiveness there is in the whole country. Now Abraham Lincoln has his toughest battle. It was never going to be the war. It was the unification of the, of the whole community and the whole country. This is the greatest challenge that Lincoln has. And so he's standing there and he's talking. And he's talking about his southern brethren. And a lady gets up in objection. And she says, how dare you call them brothers? Those are our enemies. And Abraham Lincoln's response was, but madam, isn't the most effective way to destroy your enemy to make them your friend? This is one of the greatest levels of forgiveness. Where it's not just letting go and it's not just moving forward, but it's actual restoration in a relationship. Now I'm not saying this is a mandatory thing and that it's always going to be possible. But when it occurs, it brings such glory to God. It brings such a just joy to the Lord's heart. To see that his, his children have come in common ground. 
As much as your kid has, has hurt your other kid, you don't want to disown one for hurting the other. You want to love them. And you want to help them love each other again. Right? Because no parent wants to see their children hate each other. And so God the Father is not, you know, overjoyed by his children hating each other. He wants them to find restoration in that love again. That's why it says in Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, echoing what Romans 12 said. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they're thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. That shame is not for their suffering. It's for their restoration. It's so that they can turn back and feel bad about what they've done. Not just to you, but to God. And here's the thing. True forgiveness is made easy when you understand the forgiveness you've been given. You cannot give what you have not received. You cannot give what you don't understand you've received. Listen, Ken Crockett says this, we base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what another person has done to us. We base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what another person has done to us. It's not about what they did. That's irrelevant. It's about what Christ has done for you. And if you understand what Christ has done for you, there is never going to come a point in your life where you can be unforgiving. When you understand the weight of what Christ has done. When you think about this, and I mentioned this in the first service, the pain of the cross was not simply physical. The pain of the cross was an intense spiritual pain. Because the Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Meaning he looked at your face, he looked at what you were going through, and he said, I'm going to do this because the forgiveness of their sins will restore them to full sonship. So he looked at that and he said, you are worth it, you are worth going through all this. But what he was going through, the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus is this great intercessor because he understands everything you've gone through. And so I've thought to myself, well, well, what does Jesus know about having someone cheat on you? What does Jesus know about being divorced? Well, the Bible says that while he was on the cross, the sin of humanity was put on him. In other words, all sin that has ever occurred and that ever occurred after that moment at one moment was put all into one ball, placed on one man, while going through the most excruciating physical pain you could ever imagine. So when you talk about, think about it like this. Think about the worst pain you've ever felt in guilt and shame from something you've did. Think about the worst guilt you've ever felt from hurting somebody. Think about the worst pain you've ever experienced because of your weight of your sin. Multiply that by every human being that's ever lived and ever will live. Throw it all on the shoulders of one man and put nails through his hands and feet while you're at it. That's what Christ endured on the cross. And yet, in the hour of his, his most excruciating moments, he had enough breath. Remember, every time he breathed, it was an excruciating feeling. He had enough breath to out loud say, Father, forgive them. It wasn't a silent prayer. It wasn't in tongues. It wasn't on the inside, you know, in his quiet place. I think Jesus vocalized it because people needed to hear it. And not just the soldiers. I think 2,000 years later, there's a group in Alpine Chapel who needed to hear it. That God says, you are forgiven. And you didn't ask for forgiveness yet. You weren't even born yet. Because it was totally up to him. It was his choice to forgive you or to keep separation with you. So here's what I believe. 
I believe we all deep down want to be forgiven. And when you understand that, it's easy to give forgiveness. There's a, a story about a father and son in Spain. The son ran away and the father set off to find him and he searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. The ad read as follows. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 men named Paco showed up outside the newspaper looking for their father's forgiveness. This is just an amazing testament to what we all desire more than revenge, more than justice. We desire forgiveness. If that is your greatest desire, then you need to be willing to not just accept it, but hand it off as well. To say, if Christ was willing to forgive me, I love how Paul said it, I'm a sinner greater than all sinners. If Christ was willing to forgive me, who am I to not forgive you? If Christ was willing to let go of my trespasses, my shame, my guilt, if he was willing to wipe me clean, I can't hold that against you anymore. Because the greatest love I can show you is the love that's been shown to me. And deep down, we all, every human being in this room desires forgiveness. And we all need to be forgiven. So I'm going to ask as we get ready to close this out, would you just please stand right where you're at? The worship team is going to come up in a moment. You know, the very first sermon I ever preached was in my freshman college speech class. It wasn't Bible college, it was community college. I did a speech class, and this will date me a little bit, but I used an illustration of a camera with film in it. So, yeah, no digital at that point. So I had this film camera, and I just started to take pictures, and I started to talk about all these amazing moments in your life. Things that we want to capture in a, in a photograph, right? The graduation of your children, your, your loved one's birthday, you're, you're hanging out with someone you haven't seen in a long time. And, and all these pictures, they, they capture these beautiful moments in your life. And if you look back over your life, and, and I don't know, I think there's something special about film because, you know, back in the day when we developed those pictures and you would put them in a book, and now 15, 30 years later, you sit down and you open these books and you just kind of take a stroll down memory lane. And you start thinking about that moment. Man, I remember that. That was so amazing. I remember when that happened. I remember, wow, look at how much you've grown. All these beautiful moments captured. And in the same way, heaven captures every one of these beautiful moments. But heaven captures all of your moments. Because at the same time as a camera snapping that, that birthday, there was a camera being snapped when you were alone in your room on the computer. There was a camera being snapped when you thought nobody else knew what was going on. There was a picture being taken when you thought no one else would find out. There was a picture taken that if it were to come to light, it would ruin you. It would ruin your life. It would ruin your reputation. There were pictures taken of all of it. What I love about Jesus is he takes that roll of film. And for those of you who grew up in the digital age, you may not understand this. But that roll of film, in order to be developed, it had to be put into a dark room. And it's in darkness where sin develops. 
It's in darkness where unforgiveness develops into anger, into pain, into abusing other people, into hurting other people. It's in darkness where that develops. But what Jesus does is he takes that film out of the darkness and he exposes it to light. And when film is exposed to light, it is completely erased. All the image on that film is 100% erased. And that's the beauty behind my Lord, is that if you're willing to let him, he will expose what you don't want exposed, what you want to hide in darkness. Jesus said, no, no, don't hide it. Expose it. And I will erase it from your life. And I will make you clean as snow. And I will restore what the enemy has tried to corrupt in you. So here's what we're going to do in a moment. I want to give you an invitation, an opportunity to respond. At camp, we would have this time at, at the altar. You might look at it as a stage, but uh, we're going to use it today as an altar. The altar is a place of change. It's where things change. It's where things are sacrificed to God. And in a moment, I want you to be willing, if the Lord's been speaking to you, to sacrifice that unforgiveness. To say, God, I, I can't hold on to this one second longer. I'm done. I'm letting it go. It just hurts too much to hold it anymore. And I'm telling you, there is freedom in stepping forward. There is freedom in that movement. Because some of you might say, well, well can I just forgive them from my seat? You can. And couldn't Jesus have forgiven us silently? He could. There was a power behind a public statement of saying, I will not be ashamed of what my Christ was willing to do. He wasn't ashamed of me. And I will be vulnerable and say, here, I need to let it go. But before I do that, I want you to just briefly close your eyes and bow your heads. Because we can't give forgiveness if we have not yet first been forgiven. So I wonder if there's anyone in this room, you have never given your heart to the Lord. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about going to church. Because a lot of people who go to church who won't go to heaven. Just because I'm in a garage doesn't mean I'm a car. Just because you're in a church doesn't mean you're a Christian. I'm talking about those who know I have not been living right. I don't have a relationship with God. Or maybe you did at one point. Maybe when you were 12 in youth group, you gave your heart to the Lord. But if you're honest, you haven't been living in it for a long time. And this morning, I believe everything that we've done, all that's been put on, has been put on for this moment right here to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. And before you can forgive anyone else, to be willing to say, God, I want to accept your forgiveness this morning. So if that's you, with every head bow, every eye closed, would you just do me a favor, lift up your hand, because I want to pray with you first. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. Right where you're at, I want to pray with you. And I don't know if some of the leaders here want to go around and, and meet with you and talk to you, but I, I want to pray with you right where you're at. And so here's what I want to do. Church, would you just help me so we can do this together? Because this is kind of an awkward thing by yourself. So I'm going to ask the whole church. I'm going to assume that the rest of you, the majority of you, are believers. Can you just repeat after me? We're going to pray this prayer together. And listen, if you raise your hand, understand something. There is no magic spell behind the words. When I said I do to my wife, I repeated something a preacher said. I had no clue what it meant to be a husband. I learned to love her after making a decision to be with her. And this morning, you're making a decision to be with Jesus. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of this church, you're going to learn to love him. 
The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. The rest you learn. So let's pray this. Church, help me out all together. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you because I know this was for me. So I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, of all my unrighteousness. Come into my life and be my God. Be my Savior. Have a relationship with me. Help me to be more like you. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, come on, would you celebrate what God has just done? Now, listen to me. If you, if you raise your hand, please, at the end of the service, would you meet with either Pastor David or, or anyone in the leadership? I know he can kind of escort you, Dave, to that. But I want to make sure, tell somebody. Don't just walk away. Let us know because the Bible says you're a new creation. Nobody leaves a newborn in the bed, okay? We want to care. We want to, we want to help you in that. And I know I'm killing time. I did bad the first one, but I just want to leave room because here's the thing. And those of you who have just accepted Christ, I need you to hear this, okay? We are made new. We're not made perfect yet. That's a process we go through every day, becoming more and more like Christ. So I know there's Christians in this room, you're still struggling with unforgiveness. You're still holding on to past hurt. Somewhere in the back of your head, you think by letting it go, you're letting them off the hook. No, my friend, you're letting yourself off the hook. You're letting go of the hold that they've had over you. You're letting go of the hold that the enemy has had over your life. And you're saying, not today, not anymore. You're pulling out the calendar and you're saying on this day, July 22nd, this is the day I stopped. You've had me long enough. You will not have me anymore. I release this to Jesus. And I will accept your forgiveness as I forgive those who have hurt me. So here's how I want to do this. If you're in this place and that's you, and you know that that's you, be bold enough to admit it and be bold enough to say you need to do something about it. And if you're willing and wanting to do something, I want to invite you up to this altar, the place to change. And together, we're going to pray for God's help in forgiving us whoever hurt us. So come on, if that's you, whoever's hurt you, whoever's damaged you, make your way out. Come on, be bold, be the first. Be willing to say, God, this is the day. I let it go. No longer is it going to have a hold on my life. No longer am I going to let this control me. Come on. Come on. Thank you, man. Thank you for being the first one. Come on, we're going to believe God. We're going to believe God to do miracles. Come on, as the worship team sings, you guys come up. We sing, God of miracles, come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Oh, oh, oh. God of miracles. Oh, God of miracles, come.
song like that, Nothing's Impossible. And we believe it for other people. We believe that God can do it for her or for him. But somehow there's a part that goes, but not for me. Because it's been too long. It's gone on too long. There is never a too late for God. There is never a too long for God. Nothing is impossible for God. And I mentioned this earlier, but I feel like there's, there's a group of people in this room with the same issue. One of your issues is not necessarily forgiving someone else. That you're really struggling with forgiving yourself. You are really hurting and abusing yourself. You feel like you have to suffer before you can be redeemed. If that was true, then you're crucifying Christ all over again. He suffered so that you wouldn't have to suffer. He died so that you could live. He went through it so that you wouldn't have to go through it. If you could forgive yourself, you wouldn't have needed Jesus to do it. Jesus Christ said, you are forgiven. And that's all the forgiveness you'll ever need. And so this morning, I don't want you to just forgive yourself. I want you to accept a forgiveness that's greater than anything you could have given yourself. And understand that this forgiveness is not temporary. It's not conditional. You've already met all those conditions. You were willing to say, God, I need your help. He desires a broken spirit because those are the ones he can build again. So I want to pray for those of you in this room who are struggling with that. I'm going to pray for the whole group and then I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Dave. But listen to me. It doesn't end here. This is an amazing start. But now you're kind of bringing up stuff that you're going to have to deal with. My wife, she's a professional counselor. She meets with people like this on a regular basis. You might have to meet with one of the pastors here. You might have to meet with a professional counselor. That's okay because it's all right to not be all right. It's okay to not be okay as we talk about with some of the men. But now you're on the process you have found healing and freedom in Christ. And the Bible says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so the trick is just don't go backwards. Keep moving forward. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see every person at this altar. God, I thank you for the boldness and honestly the desperation to say I need you, God. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this for myself. I've tried over and over again. I even thought that I'd forgiven him, Lord. But Father, you've revealed the real thing that's going on underneath. You've revealed the truth of what's happening in their heart. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you're willing to touch on something that maybe happened years ago that they can't forget about, but you remind them you haven't forgotten either, God. You are ready and willing to release them from that burden. So Heavenly Father, I pray right now, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would you take the burden off their shoulders? Would you help them to let go of what's been keeping them in that trap? Would you help them to move forward in the direction you're calling them to move? Would you give them the strength to do what is impossible for them to do on their own? Would you bring healing and restoration into families? Would you help them to forgive their father for walking out on them? Would you help them to forgive their mother for what she did to them? Would you help them to forgive their spouse and no longer point blame but accept responsibility and forgiveness? Lord, would you bring together your people because you desire nothing more than for your children to love you with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and to love each other. So help us, God, to love each other and to forgive anyone that we hold a grudge against. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
can we just give God a big hand and just say thank you because God is good. Man, oh man. Joey, it's easy to talk about God, isn't it? And you did that really well. Really well. Thank Joey for being here and just... And there's not a lot more to say, but I will, I will echo two things. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, tell somebody. We would love to hear that. And the second thing is, if you've got something that you brought to let go of, let it go, but surround yourself with people who will keep you believing and run in the forgiveness. Surround yourself. And so as we go out of here, may we find the forgiveness that God has for us, and may we accept it. And may we offer forgiveness to those because it's been given to us. We love you guys. Have an incredible week, and thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.